Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Um, I've been so blessed by all the Psalms that have been shared this summer. So thank you to those of you that have been shared. It's just been really, really precious. Um, yeah. Um, today we're going to be in Psalm 57. That's one that I have been in for a while. Um, and it's become really, really special to me. And I pray that God will really speak to us today. Um, and that he will be exalted. Because that's, that's my prayer for today. So Psalm 57, if you, if you open to it, we'll make a start. Um, it says, a victim of David. I'm not really sure what mictum means. They think it's maybe a literary or a musical term. The only other psalm that is a mictum is Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, there's also this theme um, of God being a refuge. And a possible meaning of mictum is actually covering or hidden. So, um, yeah, this is a mictum of David and the background is that it was written when he was in the cave so 1st Samuel 22 would be kind of our background as to what has been going on for for David and at this stage you know he has been through a lot and we kind of get that from what we have um, covered in the Psalms so far this um, this summer um, He's been through a lot. And at this stage, he's on the run from Saul, sheltering in this cave of Adullam. Adullam actually means refuge. And, you know, ironically and maybe painfully, archaeologists will say that this cave is actually not far from where David had defeated Goliath, where he had seen this mighty victory and known God's powerful hand. And it's not just that there's so many highs and lows of life, so many ups and downs. But David, and this time, this is his cave season, his cave. This is his time of being in the cave. I think it's important to point out that God's mighty hand is no less on him when he's in the cave as to when he is defeating Goliath. And so be encouraged if you are in a cave season, in a, in a cave time at present, God's mighty hand is as much on you in that place as in the victories and when life is going good. And sometimes we don't be just as aware. Sometimes we're more than aware. But I think last week we were so blessed by that song, Not for a moment did you forsake me. And I think that just really powerfully spoke to a lot of us. And I was really grateful that you guys played it again a second time. Um, it was it just really it, it blessed a lot of us not for a moment did you forsake me in my hurt at my worst when my world falls down not for a moment will you forsake me or did you forsake me you're in a cave season guess what god's hand is with you his mighty hand is just as with you as when you can feel him powerfully moving through you he is with you And God did not forsake David. Let's go to verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. 
I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. We hear it twice for emphasis. David is really meaning it. He's crying out from his heart for mercy. Mercy, the word in, in Greek, it's Hanan. In Hebrew, sorry, it's Hanan. Um, and it means to bend or stoop in kindness, like to an inferior. Asking someone for something that you've no right to ask for. <laughs> you know, he didn't have to show us mercy, but he did. He didn't have to show us love and reveal his truth to us, but he did. He didn't have to listen to our cries, but he did, and he does. He is merciful. You know, what is man that you are mindful of us? It's mind-blowing. God is merciful. You know, otherwise I wouldn't be here today. God would have given up on me, but he didn't, and he doesn't. And we continuously need mercy because, like, this is, (laughs) life is tough. It's a lifelong journey. Um, and yes, we will let God down at times. We, David and I were given advice, um, you know, when we were early on the days of following Jesus. And I think it's really simple and really, really good. Just keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Every day ask for mercy, ask for cleansing. Keep a clean conscience before him. It's a good place, you know, to start our prayer. It's a good place to start your day. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy. Throughout your day, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. Cleanse me. I love that aspect of God's character, his, mercy, his merciful nature. And the reason that we can have mercy on him or that he, we can ask him for mercy This little word for, for in you, I take refuge. And I looked up the little word and it just means, it's a small little word, K-I-K, it means there's a causal relationship. So because I take refuge in you, I can call out for mercy. Have mercy on me because I'm turning to you, Lord, because I'm in the shadow of your wings. Total commitment to God under the shadow of his wings. There's a, book, um, there's a book called God's Covering, which I've read a couple of times. And it's, it's a little book by a guy called David Cross. And it has been a real blessing just about how, you know, that lovely picture of being under the shadow of God's wings, the covering and exactly what that means. There's intimacy there. There's safety there. There's comfort there. And he is our refuge. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture. But we, it, we have to intentionally go in under the covering of God and make that commitment. I'm turning to you. You're my refuge. And, you know, the devil is the accuser. And he will come and say, you know, what right do you have to ask God for mercy? What right do you have to tuck underneath the wing of God? Because you've let him down. But this is why I love, you know, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. So our God is merciful. And if we, we just got to keep short accounts with him and just walk in a God conscious way and keep yourself tucked underneath his wing. Our God is merciful. 
a line came into my head back from our Church of Ireland days, the Book of Common Prayer. And Ashley and David probably know exactly what I'm going to say. But before we would have done communion, we would have, the minister would have read the prayer of humble access. And it says, we do not presume to come to this, your table, merciful, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. And we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. His property is always to have mercy. It's who he is. It's who he is. He didn't have to, but he did. And you know, we're going we're gonna to break bread together today. We're going to share communion. And these emblems <coughs> are emblems of his mercy, his blood <laughs> poured out for us, his body crushed and broken for us. What a picture of mercy. <laughs> he didn't have to, but he did. He's so merciful. And it says, have mercy on me, my God, (laughs) my God. With natural eyes, this is a king on the run in big trouble, (laughs) taking refuge in a cave. But the God perspective here is actually different. This is a child of God sitting in a cave and his refuge is God. He's under the shelter of God's wings. See, there is a, there's a different perspective on our situation. There's a human perspective and then there's a God perspective. And we often in counselling, we talk about taking a helicopter view or taking a different perspective or being a fly on the wall at the situation. So your situation that you're in right now, that situation that is sitting on you that you're facing, what is the perspective in that? You know, for Rach is a, you know, a young adult thinking about decisions for her future, for what course she's going to do in the natural. But actually, our, our true perspective and a more accurate perspective is that she is a child of God, anointed, guided and led by God, and that he cares about every detail of her life. And, and you see, that changes things. That perspective changes things. It's a more true, a more accurate perspective. So just maybe ask yourself, you know, in this moment, what is, what is the higher perspective of this situation that I'm in? And this beautiful picture of taking refuge in the shadow of God's wings. We, learn, we see that, you know, you see it in the Psalms, Psalm 36, you'll see it again. Um, but you also see it, and, you know, I'm sure you probably already thought of it, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. We hear about Boaz saying to Ruth, um, blessing her. Um, But he says to her, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. He's putting a blessing on her, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So when you take refuge in God's wings, under his wing, it actually looks like something. It looks like something. And in Ruth's life, it was intentionally going God's way, at a, even at a cost to herself, making a sacrifice to go God's way, even if it's harder. What is God's way for you? 
you know, in, even if you don't understand, it's trusting him, turning to him, letting him be your refuge. Even if you're still in it, you're still in the disaster, whatever it is, and you've done nothing to deserve it, you choose to go to him, to turn to him, just like Ruth did, under the shadow of your wings. Who's your refuge or, or what is your refuge? Now, I ask myself that as well. Because pain will come. It says in the Bible, in this world, you will have trouble. There are highs and lows, but we need a refuge. And we need to know what we will do with our pain. What are you going to do with your pain? This book of Alan's is so good on grief. And he talks about his own experience of pain. And what it's like to walk through pain. And chapter 3, the title of chapter 3 is, What Will You Do With Your Pain? And I just want to quote Alan from chapter 3. Yeah, he says, As I stared into the dark abyss of my future, Utterly distraught, traumatized and scared. I saw that my future would be determined by my answer to one particular question. It was a question I didn't want to answer, but a question I have come to realize that we all must answer. And the question is, what will you do with your pain? What will you do with your pain? you have choices we have choices to make when we're hurting the pain might be totally outside of your control it often is it's a situation totally outside your control but you have choices with what you do with your pain you know you can you can try to numb it you can try to run from it distract yourself you can use things and people you can have other refuges or you can choose to suffer before God, to go to him, to allow him to be your refuge. And that does look like something. It does look like something. It, look, it looks like practical things as well. So that question, I'm going to leave with you. What will you do with your pain? Moving on to, chapter, to verse 2, it says, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. God Most High. I just love that, like, name of God. El Elyon, God Most High. Do you feel under attack in, you know, do you feel like you're in spiritual warfare or do you feel in a cave? Here's an experiment to do. Look up all the scriptures where God is El Elyon, God Most High, and write it out. Put it in your journal. Write it out. Put it on your wall. Um, and meditate on it, think about it, remind yourself of it. It'll do your heart good. It'll give you courage because greater is he that is in us, greater than all the other powers. He's the most high God. And, you know, many of us know what it is to be in a spiritual battle. It's, it's actually a horrible place to be. So we need, we need our eyes up. We need our eyes upon the most high God. And we need to know that's who he is. 
And, you know, if we do that, we can have steadfast hearts even in the middle of trouble. We'll see that later on in the psalm. David talks about a steadfast heart. Even in the middle of your cave season, you can have a steadfast heart. And if that is you today, then take heart. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 4, in the context of spiritual warfare, opposing spirits. It says, you, dear children, are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Higher. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. And he's the God who vindicates me. That's the NIV version. The um, King James will say he accomplishes his purposes. The word is actually, when I looked it up, gamar, and it means or implies ending. God takes care of the ending. He will complete things. You go his way and you don't need to worry about how it will work out because he will take care of it. He will take care of you. The ending is his concern. He will accomplish his purposes. So we can trust him with the ending and we can submit to him. We can go to him with our pain. We can go under the shadow of his wing. Now, this can be, this can be a hard one. I have noticed that something that can keep people stuck as they work through their pain and their hurt is that, you know, there, is, there can be a sense of not getting closure. You know, I, I can't just leave this because I haven't got closure. That person hasn't apologized to me. That I am misunderstood. Stuff happened and it wasn't fair. I was in a situation and it was so unfair and I cannot move on until I get closure. I need to know why. And time after time, I've seen people kind of being stuck in that place of not being able to move on, maybe not being able to forgive, maybe not being able to just move on with their own life because they cannot give the questions and the ending to God, the vindication to allow him to vindicate you and to take care of you in the middle of it all. And here's, here's a lovely comforting thing that I have found and it, it can help you to get unstuck if you feel that you're stuck in that place is that God is not unjust. He is a God of justice and he hates injustice. Hebrews 6, it says he is not unjust. He has seen. And another beautiful name of God, Elroy, the God who sees. He sees all the stuff that you've been through that has hurt you, that has been unfair and unjust. He knows if you've been treated badly. You know, we hear this name El Roy from Hagar, who was also on the run in danger, in despair, heartbroken and had been treated horribly, horribly. And God saw her. And he sees you and he sees the injustice and he knows and he cares and he is not unjust. What a comfort that is. But don't vindicate yourself. Allow him to vindicate you, to take care of you. And what an example we have in Jesus. In, in 1 Peter 2, it's, it's not on the screen, I don't think. 1 Peter 2, 21. And 22, I love it. Always have come back to it and highlighted it in my Bible. 
It says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you and he, le- he left you an example. He's our example. That you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. But when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He allowed his father to take care of it. And he didn't retaliate. Allow God to vindicate you. Verse 3 of Psalm 57. It says, He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. There's a response from heaven. God, David has cried out for mercy. And he is tucked underneath the shadow of God's wing and there is a response from heaven. And things happen in the unseen realm when we cry out to God, when we tuck in underneath his wing, when we do things his way. He sends from heaven. There's a response in heaven. And we mightn't, we mightn't immediately see that, but we can, we can bet on it. We can guarantee that he sends from heaven and saves us there is a response and that is what we can count on in verse 4 it says David says I am in the midst of lions I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts men whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords David is in this situation that's really uncomfortable he's not feeling in a safe place with safe people He's been forced to dwell. He's in a situation that's outside of his control. C.S. Lewis has a book, just Reflections on the Psalms. And he notes how often the weapons in the Psalms that we hear about, they're to do with the sins of the tongue. Stuff that's said. People that are dangerous in that way. Forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. It's like he's looking all around. He's looking all around at this desperate situation and the danger that he's in. And then suddenly he looks up. In verse 5 it says, Be exalted, O God. He is exalted, O King. (laughs) Exalted on high. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is, this word, exalted. This is the word so beautifully um, explained to us by Joel whenever he did Psalm 145. It's the same word that Joel explained to us, this word extol, but it's translated exalted. Uh, The word is rum, R-U-M, and it means to raise up. And it's a good verse to have memorized, to carry around, to write it on a card or on your journal. It's a good prayer to pray, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. It means to be raised up. God, you are above all the stuff I'm going through. The the ravenous lions that are all around, the people with, you know, tongues for swords, all this stuff around me. And he doesn't deny reality. He looks around and it's so real to him. But what does he do? He looks up. You're exalted, O God. You're the most high God. You're above all things. 
Lord, I lift you above my circumstances. I lift you above the stuff that I have to go through. God, I lift you above it. And I lift my eyes. And there's a beautiful song by, by Lauren Daigle, and it's um, Look Up, Child. <laughs> Look up, Child. You're in the middle of all this mess, this pain, this sorrow. What are you going to do with your pain? You just press pause, maybe in the middle of it all, press pause just for a moment and you look up and you realize that he is exalted and he is above all. And maybe that is a word for us today, for all of us. Look up, child. In verse six, it says, they spread a net for my feet and I was bowed down in distress they dug a pit for my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. It says in verse 7, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. And David knows this is one of my favorite verses, one of my most prayed prayers. God, give me a steadfast heart. Give us steadfast hearts. It doesn't mean steadfast, steady emotions. <laughs> Your emotions can be all over the place, but you can have a steadfast heart. Because it's deeper than that. You know, it, it means real emotions, actually. You don't hide them. You don't run from them. They're real. But you have an anchored, deep belief system. Fastened to the rock that cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love, in his character. You see, in, in this situation, in anxious situations, there's, there's, there's always stuff that is unknown. We don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, you know, this is going to look like. Uncertainty begets anxiety. So what we must do is focus not on the unknowns, but actually on the knowns. What do we know to be true in this situation? I know God is good. I know he's the most high God. I know that he's in control. So you focus on what you know. You fill your heart with truth. You think on truth. And in the good times, whenever you're not in a cave day, you, you flood yourself with truth. You expose yourself to truth. It can't not affect you. You get your roots down in the good times and in the bad times, but you get them down. You know, we love to see uh, the children just getting, getting, them, getting themselves into the word. It's so exciting to see hunger for God's word in, in our home and it does our hearts good because we know that that, will, that can't not affect them. I suppose a bit like, you know, you're working with radioactive substances or, um, you know, you're working, um, you're working with asbestos. That exposure to that affects you in a negative way and it can't not have an effect. But... In, this, in the same way, exposure to the powerful and the living and the beautiful truth of God, that can't not affect us. So meditate on it, fill your heart with it, think on it. And, you know, I was just thinking about, about Job. He was, um, you know, in Job 19, um, a famous little statement that Job makes. Job has been through, I think it would be fair to say he's been through hell. <laughs> hell has been unleashed on him. Um, he's, you know, 
spiritually, physically. He suffered great loss, great pain. His life's a mess. But I love it in Job 19, verse 25. He doesn't look at all the stuff that he doesn't know. Because <laughs> that's what his friends were doing. They were trying to make sense of it. They were trying to like, you know, this is because of this. Do this and it'll all be okay. You know, they were, tr- they were offering the, this useless advice. And what Job needed in that situation was not to focus on what he didn't know. He didn't know why all this was going on. But he proclaims and declares, I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know I will see him. And he focuses on what he knows and that changes things for him. And we have got to take our eyes off all the uncertainty, the anxious thoughts, the catastrophizing, the unknowns, the future. You know, and we, we focus on what we know and there is power in that. And for, for, you know, for Job, that is a truth bomb. I know that my Redeemer lives. It's truth, truth, truth is what we need in the cave. We need, we need God's truth. We need those beautiful truths. And they're like medicine in those dark days. And maybe you can just whisper them out. But begin to speak them out and sing them out. Or write them down. Write the truths down if you're not even fit to speak. <laughs> At times, whenever you're really distressed, you can write your prayers down. He sees them. But the truth will set you free. <laughs> Carry it round. I have little cards. I have a card in my pocket with something that's truthful on it. I have, a little, I have two little pottery hearts in my pocket today. And I put my hand in and I feel them. And it's truth. <laughs> it's a truth bomb that I need to get me through. And I, I focus on what I know, even in the midst of uncertainty. And that's what David does. And in verse 7, it says, I will, I will sing and make music. I'm going to begin to sing and make music. Now, okay, David, you know, David was beginning to see things turn around. <laughs> you know, when he writes this psalm, you hear that the enemy have been caught in their own net. So, but, you know, we can begin to sing even while it's still dark. In verse 8, it says, Awake, my soul, speak to your soul. Come on, my soul. Why are you so downcast within me? I will yet praise God. And isn't that what David did? You know, back in Psalm 145, um, whenever Joel was, um, was teaching it about that, it says, David had said, you know, every day I will praise you. And sometimes when we are working with clients, we will say to them, in the good times, write yourself a wee card or a wee note so that when you're having a cave day, when you're in your cave, you can take that out and you know, that commitment, it might be that commitment. You know, I said I would praise every day and I'm going to, I'm going to. Awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I will awake in the dawn. You know, open the curtains, let the light in. Look for the light, the glimmers of light. And then we can begin to sing, even when it's still dark, open our mouths, even if it's a whisper. Verse nine, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I ain't keeping this to myself. Praise is bursting forth. It's like a, this psalm ends with a crescendo of praise. <laughs> Once you start, it opens something. I will praise you among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. Praise him. Praise him. I'm not keeping this to myself. Verse 10. 
great is your love. <laughs> it's often in the dark times and the cave times that we see his character, his love. Great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your homework for today, go to go and look up third day song called <laughs> Your Love, O Lord. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. It's based on Psalm 36. It says, Your love, O Lord, it reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. And you know, actually, there's a line in that song. I was listening to it this morning, belting it out. <laughs> there's a line in it, and it says, You know, um, I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings. There's strength for us when we tuck in underneath his wing. Beautiful strength to get through even the worst of a cave situation, the hardest week, the hardest day. There's strength in the shadow of his wing. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Isn't it funny? We started this morning. (laughs) He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. Did my heart good to, to hear that because... I knew that we were ending by exalting him. We're going to exalt him. We're going to extol him. We're going to lift him up above our circumstances. We want the world to see and know that his love is great and it reaches to the heavens. We want want the world to know his goodness and his love and his glory. We want others to see it. We want our loved ones to see it. We want our community to see, to see it. We want his glory to be over all the earth. Let everyone see how significant you are. Remember that glory is his significance, his weightiness. Let your glory be in this community. Let your glory be here today, Lord, the significance of you and awareness of you, of your presence. We, um, we, we were blessed to go to the Lake District this this year and it was so beautiful and all around you're just you just have this awareness of God's glory and creation his his handiwork so beautiful and then you go into the towns and the villages and you see that you know churches have been converted to restaurants or to libraries or to shops and it grieves you because you're like, God, let your glory be seen in the Lake District. Let them see your glory. And you know, when you've tasted and seen that he's good and he's glorious, then you want your loved ones to see that and to know that too. And you want the community to see and know his glory and that he's good and the significance of him and who he is. And I just want to pray as we close, pray Psalm 57. We just pray it for our community and for our church and for our loved ones. And let's cry out to mercy. Cry out for mercy to God, to our merciful God. Have mercy on us. My God, our God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our loved ones, God, that don't know you. Have mercy, God, upon this town, Lord, upon this nation, God, that have turned their backs on you, that perhaps have said no to you or to a distortion of you. 